Assalamu alaikum, peace be on you. I'm your host, Amtul Kafi Adullah Banu. Welcome to Faith in Focus, an hour of discussion, debate, and dialogue on various everyday concerns from the angle of faith in the 21st century presented by Muslim women. In today's program, we will try to dissect and discuss some of the key questions related to the property market and places we call home. It is common knowledge, of course, that property prices were on the increase before the COVID pandemic and that they continue to rise. To have shelter above one's head to protect one from the elements is a basic human right. A home can be a rented or a mortgaged property, or indeed a freehold property. We all seek peace in our lives, and the foundation of it lies in our inner selves and in our family life, our home. But how can we bring about peace in our home? Could it be that wishing to own our home stems from the inherent wish to have peaceful family life? So it is interesting to delve deeper and ask what drives us to become a property owner. Looking from the prism of faith, does Islam give any guidance on how to invest in a property and what to look for? One's attention also turns to why are still so many homeowners living in a state of anxiety? What advice can Islam give to us homeowners to truly make their properties a home? Is buying a property worth it or renting is the way? Are there any Islamic rules to buying and living smart and making the most of a place we buy and call home? To answer all these questions, we have in our studio two guests to discuss the topic of finding peace in a property. But to start off with, Kutsia Ahmed will read a report with various facts and figures to highlight the extent of the property crisis and our part in giving a rise to them. Here is Kutsia. It has been reported that the UK average house prices increased by 15.5% over the year to July 2022, up from 7.8% in June 2022. This is the highest annual inflation rate the UK has seen since May 2003. Average UK house prices increased by £6,000 between June and July this year, compared with a fall of £13,000 between the same months last year. The average UK house price was £292,000 in July 2022, which is £39,000 higher than this time last year. In England in 2021, full-time employees could typically expect to spend around 9.1 times their workplace-based annual earnings on purchasing a home, This is an increase since 2020 when it was 7.9 times their workplace-based annual earnings. In Wales in 2021, full-time employees could typically expect to spend around 6.4 times their workplace-based annual earnings on purchasing a home. This is an increase since 2020 when it was 5.8 times their workplace-based annual earnings. It is also reported that at a local level, house prices grew faster than earnings in 91% of local authority districts, leading to a reduction in housing affordability in these areas. Disabled people in 2019 were less likely to own their home, with just 42.4% owning their own home, compared with 53.2% of non-disabled people. Households seeking help for homelessness with a main household member aged over 60 years have increased in recent years, while those with a main household member aged under 24 to 25 years have decreased. 
Trends suggest an increase in the complexity of homeless household needs in recent years, particularly in relation to physical and mental health conditions. The reasons cited for loss of previous home are broadly consistent across UK countries and are primarily changing relationships or disputes within households. Estimates for rough sleeping based on street counts suggest numbers are increasing in England, Wales and Northern Ireland, but estimates based on homelessness applications suggest numbers are decreasing in Scotland. It is noteworthy that more and more of us in the UK are living alone. The number of people living on their own went up by 16% to 7.7 million between 1997 and 2017, while the UK population increased by only 13%. By 2039, the number of one-person households is projected to rise to 10.7 million. There was a 2.4 pence per litre increase in the price of unleaded petrol in February 2022. However, a cut to fuel duty was announced in the spring statement. Average credit card debt per household stood at £2,100 in January 2022 and will further increase. The average total debt per household is £63,582 in January 2022, which is another increase. Total unsecured debt stands at £3,743 per adult in January 2022. 12.6% increase in the average first-time buyer house price to the year to February 2022 It is reported that it now takes 21 years on average to save for a first-time buyer house deposit, saving at the average rate out of the average UK income. 297 people per day were declared bankrupt or insolvent in England and Wales from December 2021 to February 2022. This equates to one person every four minutes and 50 seconds. Borrowers paid £123 million per day in interest in January 2022. On average, a UK household spends £4.28 per day on water, electricity and gas, which is a decrease from previous months. However, this is expected to rise with a price cap increase next quarter. 739 people per day were made redundant from November 2021 to January 2022, Given the rise of inflation compared to wage rises, the average worker is seeing their total real pay as 0.19% lower than before the economic crash of 2008. The money charity predicts that real household disposable income is expected to fall by 2.2% in the 2022-23 tax year, which is the biggest fall in living standards since Office for Budget Responsibility records began. In 2021, only 0.7% of homeowners were between the age of 16 and 24. This rose to 11.2% for those in the 25 to 34 age bracket and 15.4% for those between 35 and 44 years of age. Less than a fifth were 55 to 64 years old. The overwhelming majority were those aged 65 and over, occupying over one third of the homeowner market. Since 2000, the number of adults who own multiple dwellings has more than doubled at the expense of younger adults. The number of 16 to 34-year-olds buying their own home has almost halved. Most UK residents who have a mortgage expect to pay it off between the ages of 65 and 74. In 2021, this represented over 580,000 people, 
and almost 50% of the mortgage population. Only 115,000 will pay off their mortgage before they turn 55, accounting for less than 10% of people. Remarkably, over 23,000 people will still be paying off their mortgage beyond the age of 75. However, this is around 2% for those who have a mortgage. However, as a percentage of those who have a mortgage, this is around 2%. In a survey of 2,000 people, research by Hargreaves Lansdowne found that 1 in 6 people, 15%, expect to pay off their mortgage by the age of 65. This figure rose to 19% by the age of 70, whilst 5% believe they'll never be mortgage-free. Of these people, the average age borrowers expect to pay off their mortgage is 59. However, 16% said they did not know. Almost three-quarters, 74% of those who have retired, have already paid off their mortgage in full, whereas 6% still have a mortgage. Much of the current uncertainty around the property market has been sparked by lenders, withdrawing hundreds of deals and mortgage rates rising in the wake of the infamous mini-budget in September 2022. This resulted in even the cheapest mortgage rates rising to above 5%, having been less than 1% a year ago. Experts predict rates could soon rise further, with the Bank of England having recently increased the base rate to 3%. One of the main longer-term drivers behind rising inflation is the cost of energy. The government intervened by replacing the energy price cap, which had been due to send prices soaring to more than £3,500 a year from 1st of October, with a cheaper energy price guarantee, EPG. The EPG would limit the energy costs of a typical use household bills to £2,500 a year. However, while the scheme was initially due to run for two years, the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt announced on 3rd of November 2022 it would end in April 2023. New mortgage lending is still set at 4.5 times a borrower's income, as well as some separate affordability criteria set out by the Financial Conduct Authority, FCA. However, banks can offer more, but only on a set proportion of their total lending. For example, Halifax and Barclays have offered up to 5.5 times the income for high-earning borrowers, whilst mortgage lender Habito will lend up to seven times a borrower's salary in some circumstances. Thank you, Kutsia, for that insightful report. Jazakumullah. This is Faith in Focus on the Voice of Islam radio, where today we are discussing the topic of peace in a property. I'm joined by two guests here in the studio, Sophia Aftab and Samra Malik. Sophia works in the medical communications as an accounts executive and Samra has recently graduated and is now working in finance sector for the civil service. Assalamu alaikum, peace be on you and welcome to Faith in Focus. Wa alaikum salam. Wa alaikum salam. To start off our discussion today, I would like to come to you, Samra. If you can please give us a definition of a property and your thoughts on how can this property become a home. Property can be split into two categories, real property consisting of land and real estate and personal property, which entails all other possessions belonging to an individual. In English law, property is either realty, which encompasses freehold land or personality, comprising of all other land such as leasehold land. The term pure personality is used to describe all other personal possessions having no connection with land. 
Focusing on real property, specifically real estate, it's important to understand what is meant by the term house. The term house is used to refer to the building that people reside in, the physical structure itself. But what is it that makes a house into a home? Both home and house refer to a place of dwelling, however differ in psychological and emotional meanings. A home refers to the place where you live and have a sense of belonging, often likened to your safe place, as per the famous saying, home is where the heart is. Although hotels and guest houses have ample rooms and living spaces, they are not referred to as one's home, as you do not feel attached or belonging to them. Our emotions are built around the sanctuary we live in, the feeling of ownership, core memories shared with family, key life events and shelter that it provides to its residents is what distinguishes between a house and a home. What about you, Sophia? Well, nowadays, there are many different types of property which we can make a home. As you mentioned earlier, there are differences in the owning of a property. There's renting, where there's an agreement between the landlord and tenant to use the property for an amount of time. There's mortgage property, where a bank or building society loans an individual money to buy a property or land with a set amount of time for repayments. There's also freehold, where the individual has permanent and absolute tenure of a land or property. Any types of these properties can be made a home for ourselves. For example, a family who has owned a piece of land for generations may find comfort there. Or a new couple who may move out for the first time can create a space of solace for their own growing family. The main purpose of this would be to find comfort and solace in a space. I personally have lived in my family home for many, many years. I had the comfort and support of my family members by being at home as well. I was also uh, privileged enough to be able to live out and rent properties while studying at university. From my own experience, when I lived out at university, although it was initially difficult, I found I had made my own space and comfort in an unfamiliar town and walls of a room which didn't belong to me for more than a year. We associate homes with familiarity, same smell, same people if possible, and even same habits may be carried on to a new property. You definitely have to consider what you want in your house to make it a home. For many followers of faith, they would want a symbolic gesture of their religion, for example, Quranic verses in a Muslim home, or a crucifix is often seen in Christian homes. From intangible religious activities to physical belongings, like having the same duvet cover in your previous home, these are the things which help make a house a home. Thank you both for that. Now, what is peace in a relation to property, Sophia? So in 2020, um, a research was published by RESI, an architectural firm, from a sample of 4,000 UK residents to ascertain what's the science of a happy home. The study generated that there are six qualities in a property which help make a happy home. They are security, so does it provide shelter, safety and stability? Adaptable, can it meet the changing needs? Is it connected, so does it provide the space to interact? Nourishing, does it provide healthy conditions? Relaxed, does it make one feel at home? And the sixth quality mirrors, so does it reflect who you are? Most of these qualities are quite self-explanatory, but I do want to discuss the last quality, which is does it reflect who you are? 
We as humans uh, love expressing ourselves and we want to show the world what we are thinking, what we believe in. If we're in a house which reflects our mindset, our beliefs, our habits, then that's where we are most at peace. When I was living out at university, I appreciated the little things when I came back home to my family to visit. But I found I really gained independence during this time, which is one way I found my own comfort in a property. I would try and imitate the things my parents would do in our home, like cooking similar dishes or lighting the same scented candles. This really helped me become familiar with my own abilities and limitations. Of course, I speak from personal experience. There are many other people who couldn't find that comfort at all. And this may be because the company inside the house may matter more to them. So realistically, there are different types of peace for every individual. It may be the memories or experiences that are related to that particular property or having the physical presence of the family with them or maybe even the fact that it's quiet for them to sleep at night. The six qualities that were mentioned earlier are really key to making the first step in finding your own peace in a space. What about your thoughts, Samra? As I mentioned earlier, your home is your safe space. Thus, it is this space which allows you to strive to attain that inner peace. In the momentous address given by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, before his passing, he stated, and I quote, God made the lives, property and honour of every man sacred, embodying the true value that one's property has and how dear it is to man. A property is a man's honour and that is paralleled with the sense of fulfilment of owning a property, the accomplishment of being able to provide sufficient shelter for your family, a space which is solely yours, your safe haven where you look to rest and rewind after a long day's work, the feeling of peace within your property. Thank you, Samra. Now that you've mentioned this, I wonder what kind of environment should we seek to go for a rent or buying property? Also, how can these serve as a foundation to attain spiritual blessings, perhaps? The environment of your property is what lays the foundation for a peaceful home. It is crucial to analyse a range of factors when deciding on a location. I'd say, first and foremost, the crime rates in that particular area. Online websites such as police.co.uk are accurate and reliable websites which are a good starting point in conducting crime analysis. Websites also enable you to input multiple postcodes in one go, enabling you to make comparisons in crime rates between different areas. They allow for thorough searches, checking crime rates over the past years and the specific types of crimes taking place. In a study by Comtoc 2010, it was concluded that the ecological conditions within society, including socio-economic disadvantage, income levels, social mobility and racial heterogeneity, have a vast impact on the level of social control within the neighbourhood, all factors facilitating crime. In a further study by HIP 2010, it was found that neighbourhoods characterised by more concentrated disadvantages as well as income inequality experience higher incidences of crime. Thus, it is essential to account for these factors when choosing an environment. Following on, it is important to look at the demographic of people in the area and for us as Ahmadi Muslims living in the south of England, if possible, to try and reside close to Khilafat. Khilafat is spiritual successorship in Islam and a Khalifa is the successor of a prophet of God. 
Staying in close proximity to Khilafat is not only a means to attain spiritual nearness through attending the mosque and meetings, but also from a social perspective. You are able to interact with members of the same community, all promoting the same message, love for all, hatred for none, creating an environment of peace and harmony. In a recent virtual online meeting with students, His Holiness Mirza Masroor Ahmed, current worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, further highlights the importance of remaining close to Khilafat. Remain close to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community to fulfill the purpose of your being and also to be close to Khilafat as well, because the Khalifa of the time constantly informs you of the true teachings of Islam and what the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, wanted from us. So this is how you can become closely attached to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. I agree, and as Samra mentioned, we're all susceptible to influences, so isn't it better to have morally good and just influences rather than negative ones? Therefore, the surrounding environment is a big factor in this decision. What is the community like in the area? Does it serve our own purpose? If we return to the RESI study again, one of the six qualities was security. When we think of going anywhere, we always consider the safety of our own person and families or loved ones if they're with us. You wouldn't want to move to a neighbourhood which is notorious for violence or crimes. Living in a constant state of fear does not bring you any kind of peace. So this is definitely one important factor anyone considers when they move. As I said earlier, that we should be attracted towards more positive influences. For me, as an Ahmadi Muslim, the presence of an active local community is important in attaining these spiritual blessings. This is also a type of reflection of who you want to become. In 2018, a review article compiled by Melvina Sumter, Religion and Crime Studies, Assessing What Has Been Learnt, they compared the sociological impact of religion. One factor mentioned in this review is that followers of a religion would try and avoid wrongdoing as much as possible. As such, a religious community would discourage their followers from committing crimes. The report said that although further studies and evidence are needed to unequivocally state that religion stops crime, we can definitely notice that in tight-knit religious communities, the overall crime rate is lower. We see this not only in our Ahmadiyya Muslim community, but I have lived in and around Christian communities where they also have their own events and services dedicated to helping the community. Traditional Jewish teachings also encourage their followers to observe the Sabbath. So if there's a dedicated Jewish community, then they're less likely to go out on weekends, which is when you'd expect more people to go out and commit antisocial behaviour or crimes. Again, this corroborates that positive influences are imperative for a growing and thriving community. I also agree that our environment can impact us hugely and as much as we would like to choose the best, other factors such as affordability can play a big role. So why do you think, Sophia, that the property prices are increasing and what are the major costs of buying Well, the Land Registry government website states that, and I quote, as of August 2022, the average house price in the UK is £295,903 and the index stands at 155.2. Property prices have risen by 0.9% compared to the previous month and risen by 
13.6% compared to the previous year, end quote. Average house prices vary from city to city, so we'll ignore that information for a moment. Let's just first focus on the rises. August 2022, prices rose by 13.6 within that year. There is a lot of different factors. At the end of 2019, we were hit with the COVID-19 pandemic, causing a stop to many businesses in 2020. This crashed the housing market. Less people were working, therefore less people were buying. The government provided incentives to buyers to help bring back the market. If we go back to 2008, the worldwide economic recession caused house prices to drop by 15%. It's important to mention that the drop in prices increases the interest rates on repayments to banks, which is what makes it difficult to then purchase a property. We can see that economic stability or instability is what causes the prices to rise or fall, Although economic changes can take months or years to change substantially, we can compare the August to October 2022 period where political instability had an impact on the economic instability. Again, there are many costs of a property involved, not only the bills. If you're going to get a mortgage, which is what most people would do, they're always associated with interest rates. Lower interest rates are always the most ideal but are difficult to get. And then water, gas or electricity bills need to be considered, especially with the types of property. Older houses are less likely to have insulation, so heating the home may be more expensive. Whereas newer builds are smaller in comparison to the other properties in the area, so they may be priced higher due to the modern design and build. This year, the socio-economic impact of the Ukraine war has also caused tensions between UK and Russia, And this, in turn, has placed restrictions on energy from Europe and thus causing the average UK household energy bills to increase. What are your thoughts on this, Samra? One of the reasons for house prices increasing this month is due to supply and demand. A greater number of people are looking to move contrast to the number of homes for sale. In turn, sellers are able to vastly increase house prices. Although demand for properties has decreased over the past few months, following on from the frantic need labelled the race for space across the pandemic, there is still great demand for properties. On the contrary, recent rise in mortgage interest rates following the mini-budget has seen demand fall by a staggering 15%, suggesting supply and demand may soon reach an equilibrium due to new homeowners apprehensive to purchase properties. Inflation has accelerated into double digits, with the Bank of England increasing their base rates from 2.25% to 3%, resulting in a decrease in housing prices. Annual house price growth decreased from 9.5% in September to 7.2% in October and is forecasted to further decrease by 8% across next year. Although house prices may be decreasing, it is the rapid increase in mortgage rates causing the increase in costs and current homeowners are being urged to ensure they have fixed rate mortgages. First-time buyers would see their monthly mortgage payment rise from C.34% to C.45% based on average mortgage rate of 
Following on from this, the cost of living is increasing daily with energy costs, inflation, interest rates, council tax and with wage increase at a standstill, it is becoming increasingly difficult to purchase property in the current climate. The current average house price in the UK is at £268,282, contrast to around £270,708 for this time last year. The decrease being accounted for by the increase in interest rates and higher borrowing costs. That is quite scary. So what questions should buyers and renters ask before going for a property then, Sumra? Questions to consider when buying a property include why is the owner selling? Although this may seem irrelevant, it is an important question regarding any faults or issues with the property. Commonly, sellers often look to move as a result of personal reasons, such as jobs, change in location preference and upsizing or downsizing. However, occasionally they may state that they are looking to move due to issues with the property itself. Hence, you will gain a better understanding of the property and conduct thorough checks on the faults specified. If the property has been on the market for a very long period of time, it is often priced above the average price and you may get more for your money elsewhere. Has the property undergone any refurbishments or is it requiring any refurbishments are also important factors to consider. A property newly refurbished will be far more cost effective than a dated property. Extra money will be required to furnish the property along with employing an efficient team of builders. Some individuals also do not like to undertake refurbishment properties and prefer to buy so-called ready-made properties. Thus, a crucial question to ask when purchasing. The neighbourhood and location of the property itself is also vital to analyse. Often houses on busy main roads have very high levels of noise pollution and traffic as opposed to a cul-de-sac offering a peaceful environment. It is important to weigh these factors against each other and pick what is best suited to your family's needs. For example, a property may be situated on a busy road but in very close proximity to your child's school, allowing them to walk to school. Therefore, it is based on your specific needs, weighing up the factors which are most important to you. Thank you. And what do you think, Sophia? Well, we discussed a few of these factors earlier about the crime rate, what the neighbourhood is like. But if we focus on the physical properties of a property, they can impact long-term costs like bills. An insulated property will be easier to heat, thus lower costs in winter, if there's been changes or damages to the structural integrity of a property, especially if the owner wishes to make any further changes. As we all pretty much use mobile phones and internet connection, the connectivity for these devices is imperative. As more and more people are becoming dependent on the internet or even working remotely, this is an important factor to consider. It is also important to know the local transportation modes. Do people drive or do they use the local public transport networks more? If there are businesses, industrial estates or schools, then there could be a rush hour at peak times right outside your door. The social dynamic in a more suburban area can also be essential. Getting to know your neighbours can be a big advantage, especially in a socially active neighbourhood. In my street, for example, we know there's neighbours who have lived there longer than us, but also any new people who move, and it has really helped create a bond just within the five or six houses around us.
For renters who know that they may not be there for a long time, it's still critical to recognise signs of damp or leaks as this can have an effect on any deposits you would have to put down. Thank you, Sophia. It's now time for a short break. You have been listening to Faith in Focus on the Voice of Islam Radio, where today our topic is finding peace in a property. Do stay with us after the break as we continue our discussion. You are listening to Faith in Focus. The Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, said, Whoever relieves a believer of his worries in this world will have his afflictions removed by Allah on the Day of Judgment. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Faith in Focus. Today we are discussing finding peace in a property. I have with me here in the studio Sophia Aftab and Samra Malik. So, picking up our discussion once again, if I ask you first, Samra, are there any pros and cons of renting? and buying a property. As renting a property is short term, it does not tie you down to a specific location, giving you flexibility. Individuals with short term job contracts often prefer renting as it gives them the freedom to move around different locations. You are not responsible for the maintenance of the property when renting. It is the landlord's responsibility to repair any faults such as leaks, damages, etc. Meaning you are not imposed with the task of dealing with expensive and vast issues. Although landlords may be complacent in doing so and may not get around to the issue for weeks, which can be extremely difficult to deal with. Such issues may include the boiler breaking down in peak winter, leaving you with no heating for a long period. In locations such as London, where house prices are extremely expensive, renting is often the only option, giving people an affordable alternative to purchasing a property. However, the square foot to price ratio in London is huge. Renting spaces are often very cramped with limited space. Consequently, it may be more value for money to look to purchase a property on the outskirts and surrounding cities of London. As Samra has mentioned the advantages and disadvantages of renting, I'll mention some about buying a property. Buying your own property gives you a sense of freedom and security, and many people can also use their bought properties as an investment. Buying a property means that it's yours. You have the freedom that rented owners do not. You can paint the walls any colour, change the carpets or flooring. These renovations can be done without any permission. Although if there are any structural changes required, like building a conservatory or extension, permission may be required from the local council. This means any issues can be fixed as soon as you can manage, as you don't want to be inconvenienced. Whereas many times renters have to reach out to landlords or letting agencies to fix even the smallest of issues. As the advantage is that you can own the property and change what you wish, this does then mean any damage to the property is your own responsibility, instead of asking the landlord to fix something. You have to ensure you have a trustworthy contractor to prevent overpaying or any other damages that may incur. Another advantage is that once mortgage repayments are paid back, then the property is yours to own outright. 
However, the downsides to this is that the repayments must be made on time. This can affect the interest repayments in the long run. Unless you have a fixed rate mortgage, interest rates can change, which can also affect the repayments. As such, a consistent income is desirable for mortgage lenders. There are also hidden costs to buying a property. If we consider from the time you start looking to house viewings, then there may also be agent fees or legal property fees if there are any other complicated situations, and then potentially even moving. Thank you. So are there enough homes to house the homeless? And uh, also, why are there homeless people in what we know as the developed world? Homelessness is such an unfortunate sociological issue, which is increasing as the cost of living increases. Homelessness is caused by many different factors, which include loss of jobs, breakdown of family and relationships, mental or physical health problems, substance abuse, and many, many more. Although there isn't an official figure for the number of people rough sleeping or claiming homelessness, Crisis, the homelessness charity, carries out an annual survey and they found that at the end of 2021, 227,000 households across Britain were experiencing the worst forms of homelessness. From this estimate, homelessness seems to be an impossible situation to fix. How can we possibly house all these people? The more we see people on the streets sleeping rough, it's assumed that there aren't enough places for them to go to. However, in 2021, using official government data, the estate agency, Barrows and Forrester, they found that there are 735,095 unoccupied properties in Britain. If the crisis survey is accurate, then there are over three times as many properties available per person. It can be argued that government insensitivity and reluctancy is worsening this concern. And as I mentioned before, as more and more households are facing the difficulty and the cost of living, there may be a substantial increase within the next few years. That's, uh, again, quite worrying. Um, So what are your thoughts on this, Amra? So referring back to the point I made earlier, the issue of supply and demand creates a lack of cheap housing and as a result many people cannot afford decent housing. Despite the stark inflation rates, wages remain stagnant over the years combined with fewer work opportunities due to a lack of education, individuals are extremely limited with their money. Once homeless, a social stigma is created whereby you are an outcast in society with negative attitude towards homeless individuals. In turn, it is extremely difficult to build relationships with people. Domestic abuse is one of the primary reasons as to why women and children become homeless. Often they have no other choice but to flee their home, forcing them into homelessness. Substance abuse is another major cause for homelessness in the developed world. Individuals are wrapped into a vicious cycle of addiction and often spend any income on drugs and alcohol, leaving no income for housing. So the Pakistani-American economist Atif Mia, while speaking at Oxford Economic Society's online event titled Extreme Inequality, indebted demand and threats to our economic well-being that took place on the 1st of June 2021 argued that the top 1% of the world's population tends to have 
uh, tends to save a much higher fraction of their income. But that doesn't necessarily translate into investment. This surplus capital is then absorbed entirely by the bottom 99% who end up borrowing even more. The dependence on debt is increasing. The system is fragile, reaching a breaking point, he added. Excessive borrowing is evidence of an economic system that has become distorted by widening income inequality, whose magnitude has gone up significantly since 1980, which brings up many questions such as what is the Islamic view of mortgage and how interest is affecting the buying and selling of houses uh, and also why interest is prohibited in Islam. If I begin with the concept of interest in Islam, interest is strictly prohibited. In the Holy Quran, chapter 2, verse 276, it states, and I quote, Those who devour interest do not rise except as rises one whom Satan has smitten with insanity. That is because they say trade also is like interest, whereas Allah has made trade lawful and made interest unlawful. So he to whom an admonition comes from his Lord and he desists, then will that which he received in the past be his, and his affair is with Allah, and those who revert to it, they are the inmates of the fire, therein shall they abide. End quote. In another verse, chapter 3, verse 131, I quote, O ye who believe, devour not interest involving diverse additions, and fear Allah that you may prosper. End quote. Both of these verses prohibit the use of interest for monetary gain as interest increases greed. As Muslims, if we loan someone money, we're only owed what we lent. Any extra money that we received will be counted as interest. Islamic teachings are such that any contact or interaction with interest should be avoided. However, living in a modern Western capitalist society, interest is impossible to avoid. If you rent to avoid the interest fees, then you may be paying for the landlord's interest-based mortgage. All banks have an interest incentive. There are a few Islamic mortgage providers which provide interest-free loans. They are the better option, but limited availability of these in this country makes it difficult for many Muslims to either get a halal mortgage or face extortionate interest rates. His Holiness Mirza Masur Ahmed mentioned this in a Friday sermon in 2007. He stated that the fairly new concept introduced in a few main banks in UK categorised as Islamic banking, which lends interest-free loans. He said these participating banks should extend their businesses and they will gather blessings. Although there are limited options, we should try our best to adhere to low or no interest where possible. Very interesting. So what do you think of the statement, Samra? I have to agree with this statement. As stated, owners of capital are ready to lend money to borrowers, with both parties not fully considering or analysing the effects of repayment. In the book Islam's Response to Contemporary Issues by His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah have mercy on him, discusses this idea of borrowing capital. In response to Atif Mian stating the bottom 99% end up borrowing more, it is discussed in the book and refers to the notion of living beyond one's means, leading to overspending. 
Atif means stating that dependence on debt is increasing is further mentioned in the book and His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him, goes on to say that this is due to individuals being able to fulfill their desires in a far shorter period of time. In addition, according to the neoclassical theory of abstinence, we devour in various goods and services to gratify our needs. Society nowadays is built on new advancements in all aspects, with constant competition to own the latest technologies and new cars, creating a harsh culture of constant need for borrowing, adding to the income inequality. Western economy primarily runs on interest-generated capital. The government increases or decreases interest rates in accordance to the state of the economy. As I mentioned earlier, in the recent climate, interest rates are at an all-time high, causing house prices to fall and buyers are faced with extortionate monthly mortgage payments. An Islamic economy, however, does not permit this, giving no such controlling rights to the governments. On the contrary, it promotes a free market economy. Thank you. Now, considering the environment, why are homeowners not using renewable energy? And how can we prolong the life of our homes and also of our environment uh, on the, in the other hand? There is a Green Homes Grant Scheme which assists homeowners or residential landlords to use a Green Homes Grant voucher towards the cost of installing energy-efficient improvements to their homes. This can include draft-proofing measures, insulation installation and low-carbon heat improvements. I think this scheme is brilliant and should be encouraged more for homeowners. Not only will it be better for the environment, but also for the average household, they can save money on their bills this way. By encouraging the use of renewable energy, recycling these measures can also help prolong the environment and in turn our own homes. Composting is an amazing way to prevent food waste and nourish gardens. One thing I'm trying to adopt is reducing single waste plastic. It's impossible for me to cut it out completely, but we can all make conscious choices to help our environment. Renewable energy only provides 14% of the energy of the world, a starkly low figure. But why is that? A key factor in this low figure is due to people not being open to change and a lack of awareness. Germany is the leading solar energy user in the world, contrast to the United States, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, which only uses 8%. The government needs to create more incentives for people to switch to renewable energy, including education on the matter. Often people are scared to switch due to the fear of uncertainty. Although great for the environment, renewable energy is often unable to create the same amount of power as fossil fuels due to its inefficiency and is not as reliable. Energy supply is reliant on the weather, such as the sun for solar power, or wind for wind turbines, along with expensive setup costs. Often solar panels do not enable you to go off-grid, as they are not sufficient to deliver all the energy needs required. A battery system is needed with the solar system in order to do so. Battery systems are extremely costly and individuals may not see a return in their solar panel investment for years. In addition to this, the UK government has reduced the solar feeding tariff, further increasing payback time. 
Similarly, wind turbines are also very expensive to set up and are often placed in vast open greenland, in turn harming surrounding wildlife. Wind energy has been scrutinised for claiming to be environmentally friendly, however has hugely affected bird species, further discouraging people from switching to renewable energy. Thank you both. Um, so what are the Islamic solutions to the property crisis and does Islam give any guidance on buying or owning a property? Islam does not permit the use of interest, termed riba in the Holy Quran. It is not permissible as it prevents beneficence from occurring in society, along with wealth from accumulating within a group of people. It further inhibits the loan lenders benefiting from the individual in need. Allah states in the Holy Quran, And if any debtor be in straitened circumstances, then grant him respite till a time of ease, and that you remit it as charity shall be better for you, if only you knew. Chapter 2, verse 281. Furthermore, it is stated, Verily your wealth and your children are a trial, but with Allah is an immense reward. Chapter 64, verse 16. The prime factor in today's property crisis is the huge rise in interest rates. An interest-free economy bodes stability and many benefits. Zakat is one of the five pillars of Islam. As stated in the Holy Quran, and observe prayer and pay the zakat, and whatever you, good you send on before you for yourselves, you shall find it with Allah. Surely Allah sees all that you do. Chapter 2, verse 111. Zakat is charged at around 2.5% on assets. However, this figure may vary and ought to be dependent on the specific economical needs of a country. The assets must meet specific thresholds and the money is given to individuals in need. Zakat acts as a driving force for the real economy, as the wealthy are not permitted to capitalise on low-income individuals. The wealth obtained is either reinvested back into society or they are taxed 2.5% from which society can also benefit from. Thus, interest rates promote wealthy gains. On the contrary, Zagad is promoting gain for the less fortunate and directly opposes interest. An interest-free economy will serve to enhance monetary velocity, with the poor adding to the gross domestic product through reinvesting the money they receive into the economy. Liquidity would decrease, in turn reducing inflation and add further investment into the real economy. Individuals would have the means to invest in and purchase properties as a result of no interest rates, giving absolute stability in mortgage and reducing inequality in society. Islamic mortgages are also available, enabling buyers to purchase interest-free mortgages. It is referred to as a home purchase plan and interest is replaced with rent. As you pay monthly instalments, your ownership share of the property is increased and the bank's ownership in turn decreases. In a question and answer session held by His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah have mercy on him, he stated that, and I quote, Islam does not believe in the principle of money reproducing itself. Islam promotes shareholding a contract where the lender of the money will share in the outcome. Thus, it is essential to look for non-interest rate mortgages. Thank you, Sombra. 
I would like to ask my final question to you, Sophia, and that is we like to buy property and pass it on to our beloved ones. So what is the Islamic view on the inheritance tax? Well, in Islam, inheritance is a right for dependents of the deceased. These rights cannot be deprived as it is a right granted by God. In the book Islam's Response to Contemporary Issues, written by His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, he has wonderfully vocalized the rights of inheritance in Islam. And I quote, Under the Islamic law of inheritance, the rule of primogeniture or those which involve the impartiality of estates or the unrestricted power of bequest at the whimsical pleasure of the testator are prevented. Both movable and immovable property continues to be divided and subdivided in each generation, and within three or four generations, even large estates are parceled out into small holdings, so that no permanent division is created between the people by a monopoly of the ownership of the land. End quote. As Islamic teachings prevent greed the way inheritance should be divided, it makes it fair and just for the spouse children and any other dependents of the deceased. As His Holiness has said, the purpose of this is to prevent animosity between family members and loved ones over material objects. Now, in the UK, the inheritance tax is a tax on the estate of someone who has died. This includes property, possession or money. There is a tax-free threshold of £325,000 and any value above this is taxed at 40%. For example, if your estate is worth £500,000 and your tax-free threshold is £325,000, the inheritance tax charged will be 40% of £175,000. This does help with the distribution of wealth, as again, same in Islamic teachings, it prevents the hoarding of such wealth. As taxes are used for the improvement of society, this can be beneficial for the country. Thank you, Sophia, for that. Uh, today's discussion has certainly been an eye-opener and the insightful discussion by Sophia and Samra has really helped unfold this topic. So thank you so much once again for coming here. Thank you. Our pleasure. Jazakallah. Before closing off, I would like to read an extract from an address delivered by Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, on the occasion of the annual convention on 26 June 2010 in Mannheim, Germany. He said, and I quote, Peace is one of those things that the world has always searched for, and this is true in this age as well. Both on an individual level and national basis, people and governments of every country are also in search of peace and are making every effort to attain it. The poor think that the rich have peace of mind and are content. Upon closer analysis, however, we see that the rich are just as restless and distressed. And whosoever is restless and distressed cannot be deemed to be in a peaceful state. On a national basis, the same is true for the underdeveloped, developing and developed countries. Because of the modern modes of transport and the media, the world today has become a global village. And so this lack of peace can be openly seen in every part of the world. In some places, the economic crisis has caused distress, although perhaps not in a state of famine, 
but the absence of the latest means for the ease of life and capital goods for comfort in the world today are causing restlessness. In the rich countries, although there is no famine, no drought, and no lack of food, the means of life, of easy life, are lacking for a quite a number of people who do not have these means. When various equipments and facilities are advertised in the media, it further incites the desire of the people. This not only causes restlessness among the poor, but also causes restlessness in the middle classes of the more affluent or well-to-do countries. This anxiety results in restlessness, and this restlessness affects peace at home. But how can such peace be attained? Despite the majority of the world harboring a desire for peace and wanting comfort, this is one question for which the world does not want to hear its solution. Or if the people want to attain the solution and live in comfort, they are not ready to follow the way that can lead to its attainment. This way, just as easy as it is difficult, and the solution are mentioned in the Holy Qur'an by the creator of this world. The Qur'an says, It is in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort. Chapter 3, verse 29. Mankind today is far removed and negligent of the remembrance of God in the true sense. Some deny the existence of God altogether. This is why we do not wish to pay any attention to it. Others think that religion is the cause of restlessness in the world. Although they believe in the existence of the creator of this world, but due to a lack of understanding of true religious teachings or due to the incorrect interpretation by those who have knowledge of religion and are thought to be scholars, these people who are against religion hold religion responsible for the disorder and the problems that have arisen in the world and also for causing the gulf amongst the religions to widen. This has caused a group to become disinterested with religion and faith. If we reflect, then it becomes manifestly clear that if the world and the creator of the world are one and he has created all mankind and if all religions have come from him, then the apparent restlessness and anxiety among people should not exist. End of quote. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. You've been listening to Foythian Focus on the Voice of Islam radio produced by Shermin But A sincere thank you to both our guests, Sophia Aftab and Samra Malik for joining us and to Kutsia Ahmad for the report. Until next time, it's Assalamu Alaikum. Peace be upon you.